in 2022, we saw the shortest-lived SVOD ever. Thursday Night Football moved to streaming, SVODs became HVODs, and a streaming linear service reached $1 billion. Here are the 2022 Top 10 Streaming Video Stories. And welcome to this week's edition of Inside the Stream. This is Will Richmond from Video News, and Colin Dixon from Endscreen Media is with me for our last podcast of 2022. Hey there, Colin. Hey, Will. This is, yes, it's the 49th podcast of the year. We just fell one short of 50. Uh, and I, hey, I, I gather that we've made a soccer convert of you with the World Cup <laughs> final. <laughs> That might be a little bit of an overstatement. You, I would say the answer is yes, if you could guarantee me that all soccer games are going to be as exciting as the World Cup final was. Because as I texted you while the game was going on, I will concede that was, that was quite a, I don't know, 45 minutes or so that I watched. Pretty exciting. Yep. Is that as good as it gets, though? That was a pretty darn good game. You won't get much better than that, I think. Uh, but uh, you know, yeah. not many, not many American football games are that interesting yeah. either. So, yeah. you know, no, it's been a fabulous tournament. Really enjoyed it. I don't know what I'm going to do with myself now. It's over. Back to Premier League for me. <laughs> but anyway, I think we should get started. We've got a lot to get through yeah. today. We're doing, as you said, we're doing our top ten stories of the year. And we're going to go through the first five or six pretty quickly so that we can spend a little bit more time on the top stories. So why don't you go first? You've got the first one. Yeah, and we should say these top 10 are completely our own um, opinions about what were the top stories in video and streaming, connected TV, broadband over the course of the year. And we welcome our listeners' feedback on anything obvious that we've missed or if we've gotten something wrong. But this is our ordering. So number 10 is TikTok's continued rise in social video. And for those who are not TikTok users, and Colin and I will admit that we are not, uh, we've used it, but we're not big time by any stretch. Uh, TikTok now 1.6 billion users globally in Q3. That's more than 4x what it was three years ago average of an hour and a half per day uh, per user, about two thirds of users under the age of 34. And I think one of the biggest things is that TikTok has, I I would argue single-handedly or almost single-handedly influenced YouTube to introduce YouTube Shorts, which they did a couple of years ago to remain competitive with TikTok. And YouTube Shorts has grown significantly, but only a couple of months ago did they begin to offer monetization for their YouTube Shorts creators. So it's still very much a you know kind of early innings story, the competition between TikTok and YouTube. But it's clearly something that the market needs to keep an eye on TikTok. And that's before talking about, obviously, the Chinese ownership of TikTok and all the different political issues. But um, TikTok has become a much bigger part of the video landscape in a very short period of, of time. It has indeed, and uh, yeah, as you say, very complicated story. But I just, I just 
cannot believe the length of time that people are spending watching it those people that use it 90 minutes that's 90 minutes a day goodness me that's an incredible amount of viewing okay so on to number nine and that is pay tv in transition in transition indeed uh, let's see over the last year traditional pay tv that's cable satellite and telco tv have lost according to my numbers and i sort of cross-reference with bruce leishman a good friend bruce leishman has lost about 6.6 million homes and virtual mbpds by my calculations have added about 2.6 so really it's down about 4 million overall for the big bundle and that is having a really profound if impact on viewing i took a look at the the gauge data from Nielsen and basically what they're saying is this year um, in November 2022 57.5% of TV time was delivered by broadcast or cable 38.2% by streaming and I, and I just projected out if the transition that we continue to see uh, continues over the next year by the end of next year by November of next year streaming will be delivering about the same amount of TV viewing time as traditional television and linear channels are doing today. So really remarkable changes over the last year, and it really seems to be accelerating. Yeah, and just to add a little more context to that too, and this is based on numbers from Moffat Nathanson, the total industry, total number of pay TV subscribers, which includes virtual uh, operators like YouTube TV, estimates for YouTube TV, and you know, of course there's Fubo and Hulu, et cetera, in there. Total industry down in the past three years from about 88.2 million households to 78.5 million households. That's down about 11%, um, but that sort of masks the loss among traditional cable and satellite providers, they've lost 14 million in that period to go from 76 million to 62 million, down around 18%. So as you pointed out before, Colin, it's really, it's the virtuals that have mitigated the damage here, not fully, but they've mitigated it somewhat. And this is all part of the broader discussion about linear TV declining. And, and we also wanted to mention quickly that on the broadband side, because of course, major Cable operators and telcos are big broadband providers as well that, according to uh, Bruce Leishman, our friend's uh, numbers, Q3 of uh, 22 was about flat at about 820,000 gain across the industry. The cable share decelerated. Uh, we saw a big pickup in fixed wireless, which is led by T-Mobile, and also fiber rollouts continue to accelerate and that's led by AT&T, and Bruce has the top 96%, or the um, uh, broadband ISPs that represent 96% of the market is now having 111 million subscribers, 111 million homes, and that's really those broadband homes are what is enabling all of this streaming and over-the-top and fast uh, CTE services that we're talking about throughout this podcast. Yeah, kind of fundamental, isn't it? It's like, like the thing upon which everything else is built. Yep. Uh, but anyway, let's move on to number eight. So let's move on to number eight, which is Peak TV. And that's been something that has been talked about now for several years. Peak TV, in other words, the um, 
increase in the number of scripted TV shows that are made by both traditional networks and streaming providers has continued to go up, up, up. And lots of us, just from a consumer standpoint, often wonder how are we ever going to have enough time to watch all the new content that's being made. Well, Peak TV looks like it may have finally peaked. There was a new uh, new research from Ampere that came out this week that said that um, in the second half, uh, scripted originals down by 24%, and that was primarily driven by Netflix, HBO Max, and Paramount Plus reducing their output. The year will probably still be up slightly due to strength in the first half, but it's the second half that's gotten much tougher. Obviously, the impact of recession, the impact of uh, ad spending pullback has, and Wall Street's influence, of course, on media company stock prices, all contributing, <coughs> excuse me, all contributing to what looks like um, the peak of peak TV being behind us as we go into 23. Yeah, indeed. And, and of course, we know that Netflix and Disney are both held their content spending flat. Disney, across all of its DDC services, has held it at about 30 billion and Netflix is sticking to about 17 billion this year. Uh, so yeah, indeed, maybe we are seeing, finally seeing that peak TV has peaked. Okay, so onwards with number seven, and that is live sports streaming. Boy, it's been a great year for live sports streaming. We've seen Amazon's Thursday Night Football um, through week eight, attracting about 10.3 million audience. Um, now, that's down a little bit from Thursday Night Football in 2021, which was 12.3 million and up from 2020, which was 9.7 million. But we've also seen MLB, we've seen Major League Baseball on Apple TV. And we're also going to see a real changing of the guard. MLS will only be available through Apple in the coming year. And uh, as you know, we, we talked to Christopher Harris uh, from World Soccer Talk about this deal. And it could be a model for the future. 2.5 billion, 10-year global deal with no blackouts. And I can't wait to see if that's a template for other providers moving into streaming. So really, a really an amazing year for live sports streaming. And of course, uh, most of the, no, all of the World Cup games are available on streaming. And uh, they looked great, basically, mostly looked great, uh, although the 4K was not quite, I thought, as dazzling as I was expecting. But anyway, great year for live sports streaming. And we're recording here on Wednesday, even as the top headline uh, that I saw in the Wall Street Journal today is that YouTube seems like it's closing in on a deal for NFL Sunday Ticket, which uh, would move the rights over from DirecTV. And that would be a, another huge part of the sports leaking into streaming story that we've been following. Indeed, it would. So... But anyway, I guess we'll have to, people will have to just check the headlines when they listen to this, Will. Anyway, onwards to yep. number six. Uh, to number six, and speaking of YouTube, we've talked a number of times on the podcast about the rapid growth of YouTube's advertising revenue. And indeed, they had had about eight or nine quarters of growth in ad revenue, over 30% per quarter. And that continued on through the third quarter of 2021. 
it has been a different story ever since. In Q4 21, they were up 25%. Q1 22, they were up 14%. Q2 22, just 5%. And then finally, last quarter, Q3 of 22, YouTube ad revenues actually declined by 2%. So, you know, roughly flat. But that is a big change of from the scorching growth that YouTube had had in ad revenues and I think is indicative of the broader trend that we'll talk about in a couple of minutes as well of the slowdown in ad spending and Google and YouTube executives have spoken about this publicly on their earnings calls. YouTube, of course, is still a gargantuan business. It probably will fall a little short of crossing the $30 billion ad revenue point in 22. It'll fall probably a little bit short unless Q4 really exceeds expectations, but it's still a gigantic company. And, you know, tying back to what we were talking about before, it's a, it's still a company in evolution as shorts have become a bigger part of the story. And again, now if we have Sunday ticket on YouTube TV, that's going to become a, a bigger part of the overall revenue mix as well. Yeah, and this obviously it's become a, a juggernaut in the CTV business as well. They said they have 100 million people watching on TVs. And uh, if you look at Nielsen's number, YouTube has the largest share of streaming time on television, 8.8% ahead of Netflix. So obviously a juggernaut there. But let's move on to number five. And number five is hybrid VOD, HVOD. You are going to hear this term a lot in 2023. And basically what this is, is just exactly what it says. This is SVOD services adopting other business models other than subscription to monetize their content. And this is really being driven by two things. One is that, you know, the truth is that SVOD subscription revenue is slowing and the big growth opportunity here is in advertising that is continuing to grow grow fast so why wouldn't you want to be participating in a very very fast growing market that's one thing um, second thing is that you know there's a general recognition here that single monetization models don't maximize the revenue that you can get from your content all that stuff that's sitting in your libraries in SVOD you can probably monetize that in other ways without damaging your SVOD business at all. So that's a second thing. And the third thing is that Wall Street has become impatient with SVOD services uh, and are not interested in looking at sub counts anymore. They want to see revenue coming from these guys. And all of these things are moving together to sort of push SVOD providers to become HVOD providers. So again, I think this is something you are going to see a heck of a lot of in 2023. Absolutely. And we'll talk more about that in a couple of minutes when we get into Netflix and Disney Plus's ad-supported tiers. Uh, but I agree with you, HVOD, probably the new, is that the new four-letter um, acronym for 2023, Colin? I think it probably will be, Will. Yep. Okay. Cool. Um, so let's move on to number four, which is connected TV advertising. And um, eMarketer actually revised its forecast up recently with CTV growing uh, by 27.2% in 23 to 27 billion. That was up from the 24.2 billion they have forecast earlier. They actually moved up their 
2022 number as well. All of this, of course, in spite of the major headwinds that are blowing in the ad business these days, as we talked about it. Um, a few minutes ago, but uh, IEB did a survey of um, buyers and CTV was the number one fastest, expected to be fastest growing channel in 23, estimated up 14.4%, more than double the industry growth uh, projected of 5.9%, ahead of all other digital categories and of course plenty of categories that are going to be contracting in 23. So um, connected TV advertising remains strong, as we know. Um, you know, big enabler is that we have, uh, again, uh, quoting our, our friend Bruce Leishman, um, June survey, 87% of U.S. households have at least one connected TV. 46% of adults are watching a connected TV, um, at least on a daily basis. More streaming services that are supported by advertising. and. Um, you know, this is obviously continues to be a big opportunity, especially as CTV ads incorporate interactivity, shopability, personalization, still with more refinements to go in measurement and transparency, transparency and to um, reduce fragmentation. So CTV is growing fast, lots of big opportunities, still some challenges. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of that growth is being really driven by smart TVs these days as well. Once again, consulting Bruce Leishman's data, he says 71% of homes now have a connected smart TV and 59% have a connected TV device. Although I will say daily users is about the same between the two, but uh, it looks like increasingly this market is being driven by the smart TV. And I was very interested, Catherine Pond, who is Group Vice President of Vizio, she said the other day, the dongle is dead. I don't know if that's quite true, but it certainly sounds like it's dead in the Vizio group because she says only 7% of Vizio TV users have a dongle connected and use it. So it looks like, uh, at least within Vizio, smart TV is where it's at. So um, anyway, that's, uh, that's smart TV driving that CTV growth. Absolutely. And on to our top three. Uh, onward with number three, fast linear growth and expansion. Yes, I think fast linear featured on our list last year. Uh, I'm pretty sure it did. And it continues to grow very quickly. Pluto TV crossed the $1 billion barrier in advertising last year, in the last year. And by my calculations, U.S. revenues from linear, free linear channels were 2.1 billion last year and will be 4.1 billion next year. But the market continues to evolve, continues to change. One of the first things is that, one, you remember I mentioned when we were talking about the emergence of HFOD, well, one of the things that some SVOD providers are doing now is leveraging fast linear channels to create channels of content and monetize through advertising through these fast platforms. Uh, so CuriosityStream, Hallmark Movies, and Cinedime have all launched these channels in the last year or so. Uh, and I think, again, this is something that you are going to hear a tremendous amount about in the coming year. Um, so not only will we see lots more SVOD providers launching fast channels, we are gonna see new fast channel, fast services that include linear. 
Um, so Warner Brothers Discovery has already said that they're going to launch one in 2023 and you should expect lots of others to do so too. And the SVODs that launch fast linear channels, I would expect them to do two things, Will. I would expect them to launch them in other fast services. But I think there will be an increasing number of SVODs that also have a free tier of their own service. And I think this just makes a lot of sense. It keeps gives people a reason to keep the app around, uh, even when they stop subscribing to it. And that's a really good idea because if they're still there, then you can be poking them with, with promos for new content to try and get them to sign up again. So another big theme, I think, for 2023. Yeah, and certainly Pluto, Paramount Plus have been, has been a model of what you just described, the benefits, and they've been public and talking about the benefits of Pluto as a funnel. They're fast as a funnel for adding subscribers to uh, Paramount Plus. Uh, one other honorable mention within Fast, we just talked about last week on the podcast, is the... Um, prevalence of music videos as programming for fast channels. And Vivo, of course, has been very active in that space this year. Warner Music, we just saw a deal announced for an exclusive with Roku for a period, of, Roku channel for a period of time. So it feels like music is um, emerging as potentially a leading genre in the fast category. Yeah, and add to that, Will, holiday theme channels, these pop-up channels, this, this, I mean, again, it really reinforces just the flexibility and the advantages of doing linear in a digital environment, in the, in the internet environment. You can just create these channels, pop them up, tell your users about them, and they can use them during the holidays, and then they go away and they can move on. So I love the format. It's great. Anyway, number two. Yeah, before number two, I just mentioned listeners can't see Colin's festive holiday hoodie that he's wearing today as we're recording, but it is adorned with candy canes and red and white snowflakes. And he's really, and uh, boy, I can't even see what you're pointing to now, Colin, but it looks looks very festive. And we should include a picture of you, Colin, in this week's I, I will do that. Podcast. I will do that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, number two is the launch of ad-supported tiers from Netflix and Disney Plus that just happened within the last month or so after lots of lead up. And of course, we all know that Netflix was a longtime resistor to having ads in their service. And Colin and I have been advocating for that for a long, long time. And they finally, this past spring, said that they were gonna consider it. It was gonna come at some point. And then it came pretty quickly, six months after that, um, they enlisted a partnership with Microsoft and Xander. No question, Netflix was coming to the market pretty late, but the handwriting is very much on the wall, as Colin was saying before about HVOD and dual revenue streams. Um, Netflix's subscriber growth had obviously started to really slow down and that it feels like it um, made Netflix management realize that having a lower price tier would help expand the market. So we have new data from Antenna just yesterday suggesting that the early weeks and month of the Netflix ad-supported tiers rollout was not super successful, but also with the giant caveat that it's still very early days. So they said only 9% of Netflix signups 
in the first month of November were the ads uh, for the ads with six ninety nine a month ad supported tier, and that forty three percent of those people who signed up for the ad supported tier had actually downgraded from a paid service uh, from one of the paid Netflix tiers. And, you know, one of the things that Ted Sarandos, who's the co-CEO of Netflix, said is advertising for us is a crawl, walk, run. We're definitely in crawl right now. And I think that's fair. Netflix's brand has been synonymous with ad-free, paid only. Now they're launching. They've launched a new option for subscribers. It's going to take a lot of education, re-education. It's very much a long-term project. If you look at Hulu, though, which still has 60% or more of its subscribers in the ad-supported tier, it, it certainly suggests, and not to mention all the other trends that are happening in SVOD right now, it certainly suggests that Netflix will find its footing with an ad-supported tier eventually over time. And just looking at first-month data is not indicative of anything long-term at all. Although I will say one thing, the ad-supported tier does not include the download feature, which I think has become very popular among not just Netflix, but other SVOD users as well. And that could crimp growth for anybody who values the downloading capability. Meanwhile, Disney Plus also launched its ad-supported tier just a couple of weeks ago. Um, their situation is a little more complicated as we think about how many and what percentage will adopt the ad-supported tier because it happened concurrent with a pretty stiff price increase, 40% up on all subscribers that were paying $8 a month, now go to 11 a month for the ad-free service. Um, and the new ad-supported tier takes its place at $8 a month. So um, we've talked before about this on the podcast, but Disney Plus subscribers who are paying on a monthly basis, not annual, are faced with this kind of tricky question of whether to absorb a 40% price increase to stay ad-free or whether to keep their rate flat but have to accept ads. So that'll complicate the results somewhat. Um, but I think the common thread here between Netflix and Disney Plus, and you could add HBO Max to this group as well, that have um, also added an ad support tier is the desire to keep growing subscribers, but the recognition that there is price sensitivity and that there are viewers who are willing to trade their time for attention, um, which is the same basic equation that's always existed in media and is now becoming more of a trend in SVOD as well. It sure is. And the other thing that, of course, happened with Disney Plus was that it hasn't reached agreement yet with Roku, the most popular TVOS in the US that uh, hasn't reached agreement on ad splits. And so those people opting for the ad tier at Disney Plus can't use Roku to watch. And that's a huge problem, a big black eye for the company. And they'll need to get that resolved pretty darn quick, Will, or, or um, that will really put a serious crimp in their ability to earn revenue. And we should also add, of course, that Bob Iger is back as CEO of Disney. And so everything is, I think, back on the table again in terms of their streaming strategy. And we didn't even talk about what's going to happen with ESPN as part of this podcast. But that's something to keep an eye on in 23 as well. Yeah. Anyway, should we go on to number one? And we were in agreement on number one. And you're going to start us off. 
And number one is Warner Brothers Discovery. This is the gift that just keeps on giving the story of the year for both Will and I. And it's, I've, I really don't know where to start, Will. There are so many aspects to this. I suppose it started first with CNN Plus. Uh, so now, Jason Keeler pushed that through, pushed the launch through on March 29th. Discovery, Warner Brothers Discovery took over on April 8th and shut the service again on April 30th. So this must be the shortest lived SVOD service in history. Uh, then, of course, they started cutting HBO con content. They cut two movies that were pretty much done, but they decided that they were not going to uh, release those. They have also been moving back more towards the traditional media approach. Um, and of course, there's been this talk of how they're going to combine HBO Max and Discovery Plus. Um, I already mentioned that they're going to be launching an SVOD, um, excuse me, a fast service in 2023. The very public antipathy between that Zaslav, David Zaslav, who's the CEO of Warner Brothers Discovery, and Jason Keeler, who was the previous manager of Warner Media back at AT&T. Uh, and uh, boy, it, it's just a story that keeps on giving, Will, right? It sure is. And obviously, as we know, the deal, the deal closed earlier this year, uh, over $50 billion of debt created. And that in turn drives huge pressure to reduce costs, find synergies, um, and really focus on, I think, more the short term than the long term, the short term financial pressures. And so that has been exacerbated by the unfortunate timing of ad spending slash recession worries. And as we were mentioning earlier, the dynamics around SVOD and the slowing pace of additions and, and so forth. So. Uh, the stock is down two thirds in the past year, down around 50% since the deal closed. There also is up in the air as we get into next year, this question of the TNT NBA deal that's going to come up for renewal soon and what role sports is going to play. And it, it does seem like the strategy that the overall WBD strategy is to try to recapture some of the spark of the traditional pay TV model, even though, as we said before, the cord cutting is accelerating, there's more pressure on that model than ever. So I don't know if there is a there there in terms of going back in time, but obviously their uh, management has been very critical of the economics of streaming and are trying not to get sucked into the same black hole that some of the other companies have gotten sucked into. Now with PTV starting to decline, that certainly goes in their favor. There isn't quite the same arms race going on, but it's a complicated situation. A lot of pressure on the company to, to perform with that massive debt load hanging over them. Yeah. And this is a theme that's uh being echoed by pretty much all of the broadcasters that have moved into streaming will. The, the simple fact is that uh, there are no guarantees, right? There are no guarantees that you will be able to make the same money 
in streaming as you have been making in traditional media. And and I've got to tell you, the pay TV ecosystem, the traditional pay TV ecosystem created a content bubble. And this, this was not governed by market forces. This was governed by something else entirely. And that bubble has burst. So now people are going to tell you what your content is worth directly not what you think it's worth. And it's tough. Uh, it's going to be very tough for Warner Brothers Discovery to dig out from under this debt. Uh, unfortunately, they have run up this debt at exactly the wrong time. What we know is it has taken Netflix 10 plus years to get to a nominally profitable position. And that is this. I think that's the level of investment that content companies need to make if they want to be global players in the content business. Uh, and unfortunately, they've taken on a lot of debt at precisely the time when they need to be investing more, not less. So I don't know what this means for the company in the coming year, Will, but I have a feeling that there could be, I don't know, some a sale later on in the year or maybe into 2024 of Warner Brothers Discovery um, as it tries to figure out how to become profitable in this new world. You may be right, and there's certainly been that speculation out there. I'm I'm personally somewhat skeptical because uh, I just it's I'm hard pressed to think of who would be a buyer, and of course you know the usual suspects come up, but I, I don't know that I see it really fitting with the strategy of right. of an Apple or an Amazon or or a Google, but um, yeah. But they have they have some real pressure on them, and they they I think some of it is created by themselves, um, and some of it is again just the market has turned at a very unfortunate time for them. So trying to weave their way through becomes that much more challenging. Um, I don't think we even mentioned um, as part of this quick discussion the decision to pull Westworld off of HBO Max, which I continue to wonder is that indicative of more content to be pulled out of SVOD services, not just by HBO Max, but by others as well, as they try to maybe um, extract additional value from specific programs yeah. by licensing them as opposed to including them in their SVOD services. That That is still very much of an open question, but I think could start to crystallize as we get into next year. Yeah. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. I think I've said this on the podcast before. And I certainly certainly is in line with what we were talking about earlier with HVAD and better monetization of the content in the services. The problem for Warner Brothers Discovery Will is, you know, we expect great things from services like HBO, right? We expect the spectacular, the great series that are just uh, really engaging and draw us in. And unfortunately, it's expensive to make those. And I just don't know if the company's got the money to do that anymore. But uh, I guess we'll we'll have to wait and see. Right. And it creates even more consumer confusion if somebody tells you at a cocktail party, oh, I just watched Westworld or, you know, did you ever see Westworld on HBO? It's so great, this, that. And you subscribe to uh, HBO Max and you're thinking, okay, I can find Westworld in there because it was an HBO show. And then it's not there. And then you have to go figure out where it is. And you know, multiply that by 10, 20, 50, 100 shows, and yeah. it becomes an even more confusing world for consumers than it already is. So so it's going to be worth watching. It, it could be the start of something brand new, a new dynamic in the industry. It certainly could. And as you say, I mean, HBO fans have been used to be able, used 
to be able to to connect with all of the content that they like through HBO Go and now HBO yeah. and then HBO Now and then HBO Max, right? They've been, they, there's that expectation. Yeah. And as I say, I don't think it's necessarily needed that they withdraw the content to monetize it in other places. But anyway, I think we've probably done uh, just about <laughs> enough for <laughs> this year, Will. <laughs> We have squeezed all the juice there was to squeeze out of 2022 here, I think, in 30 short minutes. So I think we'll leave it at that, Colin, and looking forward to a lot more happening in 2023. Wishing all of our listeners a very happy holiday season. Yep. Happy holidays, everybody out there. And we will be back in early 23. Inside the Stream is a production of in-screen media and video news, all rights reserved.